0: Hello everybody, welcome back. This is the Kane Rinse podcast and it's volume 13, issue 601. Goodness me. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to talk about Strider or Strider Hiryu to give it its original Japanese title. We're focusing on the original game, the arcade game and its conversions. We'll have a little section where we talk about some of the subsequent titles, but we're not officially covering those. Anyway. You'll get the idea. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this first issue back of 2024, we have Chris Worthington.
1: You'll never get out if you raise your alive.
0: And uh, Mikhail, the General Croda. <laughs> 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 That's or actually like Grandmaster that. Mayo there, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't believe you didn't learn the Russian for us. For yeah, the, uh, yeah. For the... caught,
2: me, caught me by surprise a little bit. I've been practising that laugh <laughs> all day. Like, I was taking the Christmas lights out in a garden... Um, people that what by must have thought there was an absolute maniac in that garden
0: <laughs> um yes uh you even managed to sort of capture the the slightly garbled uh crackly nature of the sample so good job and also sean fletcher you dare fight me i gotcha um <laughs> okay <laughs> Glad to see we're all back and in fine form for this show. Strider is a scrolling 2D dash and slash arcade game at its simplest, but there's way more to it than that. And there's a lot of reasons we're talking about it. So we'll get into those developed by Capcom. Capcom obviously published the arcade machine themselves. Uh, Sega published the Mega Drive version, which they converted themselves. NEC published the PC engine conversion And US Gold published the home computer versions and I think some of the console versions as well, as I say, directed by Koichi Yotsui, who had previously worked on, well, not a lot, art and graphics for The Speed Rumbler, which came out in 1986, which is a top-down car smash-em-up game. Uh, And then after that, uh, went on to work on some games which we'll talk about later, uh, but not such a... A full CV as uh, as one of his uh, colleagues on the game was uh, Tokoru Fujiwara, who we've talked about many times, whose influence on this game I think is fairly unmistakable. And uh, of course, as we've spoken about before, he's most famous probably for Ghosts and Goblins, but also worked on the Speed Rumbler and Commando and Pirate Ship Higemar and Mega Man 2 and basically lots of Capcom's most famous games of the 80s game was released initially march 7th 1989 so who remembers back then uh possibly only me but we'll find out sean what was your what's your recollections and history with strider
3: it's funny look i don't always have the greatest uh, memory but i i tie games back to a specific time like many people tie music back to a specific time and uh, i've got some hmm. really really strong memories around, uh, around Strider. It's a very important game for me actually Strider uh Strider. Um I had a lot to process around this time in in my life when uh, when Strider was out. So any game that helped me to escape was a really welcome distraction. Uh my parents split up when I was 8 years old so it was uh, it was a bit of a confusing time for me. Um yeah. I didn't take it real well as as a lot of 8-year-olds kind of won't I um Yeah. I developed a bit of a kind of a nervous tick and I didn't really understand how to kind of deal with with all the complex kind of emotions but look really luckily for me at that time I had an older brother and he was always only a phone call away and he helped me a a great deal when when I really needed it just by kind of um, being around at that time so my older brother Chris good lad yeah he's he's a legend so he uh he was always taking me to the arcades and while he wasn't like a, a gaming fanatic like myself he had a few games that he'd kind of play play regularly and um the arcade was where our first kind of came across strider and i was instantly drawn in uh, by it it's i remember it being a really loud cabinet uh, at the time so it would kind of cut through the rest of the noise there at the arcade it had a really cool tracking mode shing, yeah. <laughs> lots of <laughs> shinging lots of shinging going on uh, there was yeah. some great voice samples and that you kind of hear those from the other side of the arcade as uh, as the the team expertly delivered there at the start of the podcast and the, the futuristic <laughs> visuals the the super cool looking kind of cyber ninja protagonist i think as an 8 year old these are all things that kind of draw you in and make you really excited um to play the game so it was just something that i always made a beeline for when when i was at the arcade um, and I never got too far in the arcade But I did have a mega drive at home as well Never actually owned Strider on that But um, every every second weekend I'd visit my dad uh, I'd go to my dad's house for the weekend Which is where my brother lived So my very strong memory around this time is Every Saturday morning I'd get up I'd tiptoe into my brother's room He was around 20 or 21 years old at the time So he was normally kind of out the night before Still hung over and kind of crashed out in his bed but I'd sneak in there and I'd fire up his Mega Drive I'd turn up the volume kind of just loud enough to hear it and then uh, in would go uh, either Streets of Rage 2 or Strider but normally Strider was my <laughs> kind of start game just because it was a you know it was a quick it was a quick run through it was a good good morning game so that became a real <laughs> habit for me. I just I just, just used to, relax, to do it. Put strider
1: yeah, on just to chill.
3: Well, yeah, well, you know, I'll talk about that later. It's funny how your memories can um can kind of, you know, you, you remember certain things differently because for me I used to think it was just a good kind of run through start to finish, you know, easy yeah. easy kind of game and it was a habit. I and mean, it is
0: once you know it. Yeah it, it is. is. It, 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 it's, it's a learnable game.
3: Incredibly it? learnable. It's so it's so learnable <laughs> yeah like I I used to just kind of run through slides cipher through everything almost almost like I was kind of speed running it even though I might not have know what that was yeah. kind of a, as an eight Yeah yeah
0: old. absolutely. So funny
3: kind of going back to it and and replaying for the show I, I found you know first level I was flying through and just going geez it's like putting on an old pair of old pair of shoes this is no drama and mm. then as soon as I kind of got three quarters of the way through that stage and met a little bit of resistance and then got into the next level with the wolves in you know the Siberian wilderness I was thinking well this is um this is a bit tougher than I remember but (laughs) you know it is it is really learnable um so I just persisted with it and kind of I went back to even though it's you know 35 years ago almost I I remembered some of those old strategies some of those old tricks uh even where some of the hidden power-ups are and things so it's amazing how things oh, yeah. that were significant at a at a point in your life how much you do really remember those things so
2: yeah you don't really realize until you start playing and you know it's yeah, just it's... like without thought almost you start running into those like secret areas and that's right, right. Yeah. that's right yeah. Yeah. just muscle yeah. memory yeah you just
3: you just kind <laughs> yeah. of find those uh, those old tricks of the trade that you that you used to employ so yeah, I I kind of started playing it again a couple of weeks ago and then thought, okay, I might have to kind of get a bit more serious about this because I wanted to get the one credit clear. So, it took me a little while. Yeah. I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I had a couple of save states for that last level just because I found that really hard. I was getting to the last level and um, yeah, I'll keep my powder dry as we as we talk about that as well. But. Yeah, so I'm also a little embarrassed to admit that I didn't realise that there was a Strider two for the Genesis, as much as I thought I knew about the oh title. Oh boy, um, <laughs> um, I, watched yeah, it, I watched. it's, the... it's okay. Yeah, it's non-canon. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so look, I wa- did my due diligence. I watched the playthrough. I gave it a really kind of quick play just via emulation, just to see what it was like. And yeah, it's nice. as you mentioned before, it's it's a tier Text game published by US Gold. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not wanting to kind of punch down or anything. But the, anyone that's familiar with their work <laughs> yeah. around there will probably kind yeah yeah hazard a guess to, mm-hmm. to what that's like mm. so i've also <laughs> uh, messed around with the ps1 sequel i pre- played through the 2014 double helix reboot as well um that changed it up a little bit changed the formula by adding in some metroidvania type elements probably i just think maybe gamers want that a little bit more these days rather than something that they can kind of run through in the best part of 15 or 20 minutes um and yeah i think that probably covers covers my history with uh, with Strider.
0: Here comprehensive good stuff. Mikhail what about you?
3: Um
2: I never saw it in the arcades around here. Um I think the first time I became aware of Strider was uh when the Mega Drive port was about to come out and all the uh, magazines of the time had screenshots plastered all over the pages of it. Mm-hmm. And it looked really cool. And I think I also saw it running on a Mega Drive demo stand at some point. And One of the key things that really occurred to me was, like, one, his strange attack. Because if you look at the character, he barely moves his arm, and then this sort of, like, energy wave comes out. And I was thinking, what is even going on there, you know? What is he doing? (laughs) Like, he's kind of like... It looks like he just wills enemies to death, you know? Like, he's just... it's like a death stare or something happening at that point.
0: The sound effect is the, is the clue. But yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, but if, think, you, think, if
2: you're watching a demo stand without yeah, any yeah, sound, yeah. it's like... Yeah, yeah, what, of course. You know, yeah. He's just like putting forward some sort of energy wave. It's it's yeah. really, really strange. And I never saw anything like it before. Mm. And then the other thing that really occurred to me was just how acrobatic the main character is and how he's yeah. like cartwheeling all over the place, running up slopes, which was also the, the, the slopey stage design of the game was also... Not that typical for the time, you know? Oh, God, no. Incredibly hard to do, yeah. And then you see the bits with the anti-gravity or the upside-down gravity and, uh, you know, him clinging to walls and ceilings like uh, effortless. So it looked incredibly cool and I really, really wanted to play it. But, uh, yeah, I never got around to it. And I think... When I first started playing it, it was the arcade version uh, when I got the Capcom Classics Collection Volume 2 for the PlayStation Mm -hmm. 2. That's when I first actually started playing the the game. And it's that thing where, um, you know, there's a lot of games back in the days that I just saw in magazines which always looked really intriguing. Uh, And then even though I had never played them at the time, they always kind of stuck with me. So when something like this uh, compilation would come out, it was like Strider was then one of the games that I really wanted to get it for. For example, you know, like it, I, I never stopped uh, thinking about it or never, never yeah. forgot about it. Like just yeah. how strong, just looking at demo stands and looking at screenshots and magazines, how how uh, how much it can stick with
0: you over time. Yeah, still. so true. Yeah, yeah. Magazine reviews in particular. There's still games from back yeah. in the day that in my head exist in a very different reality to the to you know when I finally get around to playing them or whatever and Exactly yeah and uh, obviously time has taken its toll in some ways although not always in all ways which is uh, which is what this show's all about in a way Yeah uh, So have you been you've been tackling this on uh, just which format in in run up to the show
2: Both on that uh, PS2 disc and yep. on the uh Capcom Arcade Stadium uh 1 uh, Of course collection on the switch as well so i tried yes. out both versions kind of seemed, seemed similar you know like yeah. uh, how they behaved and uh, and everything yeah. uh but yeah and uh no i, I didn't get around to get it once you see but you do no. notice just and i've had been uh tackling it also uh earlier in 2023 because we covered it on uh, video visits as well like as our headlining game of uh one of the episodes so i had at that point i was also like spending more serious time with it but yeah you cool. do notice like how a lot of those, uh, sometimes James James bond asks death traps uh, in the stages, how once you figure out how not to die, you can sort of reliably repeat the process over and Absolutely. over again, you know? So, yeah, like you guys already said, it's a, it's a very learnable game. So I bet, like, you know, with enough practice, uh, I could uh, probably once you see up till the final stage and then spend almost as much time just on that final stage yeah. to to really
0: seal the deal. Yeah, absolutely. The yeah. The final stage was the, the get off the machine stage, as yeah. we were discussing. Yeah. yeah, Chris, what about you? History with this one?
1: Yeah, not dissimilar to McKeel, actually. Um, I, Do you know what? I don't think I've ever seen this, even to this day, out in the wild as an arcade no. cab. Leon, this is the bit where you tell me it's an arcade club.
0: Uh, <laughs> I can't remember, to be honest. And no. obviously, they do shuffle their machines around to an extent, so... It's possible it's there sometimes and not others, or it's been there when one of us was there and one of us wasn't. But, yeah, maybe. Um, I don't recall playing it in arcade clubs, certainly, so mm. maybe not.
1: Yeah. Well, as I've said on this, on this show a few times now, my exposure to the arcades was limited to really what was in the local chippy and video shop. Uh, mm-hmm. And they never had Strider when I was growing up. So once again, for me strider was an amiga game and that's an unfortunate history (laughs) with (laughs) with strider because that was the only version i knew and i remember being pretty hyped to get it because the magazines actually talked up the amiga port you're
0: quite right to to mention this because although we now maybe look at the amiga version and wince and especially if you see it running uh at the time the reviews were pretty positive. Uh, whether that was entirely kosher or not, we'll never know at this point. But and yeah, it, we, it's worth saying.
1: We do need to circle back, I think, at some point as to you know putting this in its historical context. Because it, when you look at what we had available to us at home, and okay, the Mega Drive port is, is outstanding and a system seller, I think. But for those yeah. who didn't have a Mega Drive we were left with the the home ports and so you were you were kind of scrabbling around for the best of a largely bad bunch and the and the Amiga the Amiga game was a disappointment at the time and because I had no history with the arcade and I wasn't I wasn't comparing it to something I was playing down the arcade all I had was even back then you know as a, as a 9 10 year old was a what I thought was a pretty mediocre kind of you know, brainless kind of game, yeah. and I was I was really disappointed. in It. I mean, I'd like to say I went to the shop and bought it, but you know what it was like back then. i you know, I I, <laughs> I, I didn't, so I, I won't I won't rain on it too much. But my kind of when when I think back to Strider when I was growing up, I actually think of Team Seventeen's Assassin, which yeah. I don't know whether you're familiar with that one. That that is a clone. It's I on think. the show notes.
0: Mm. It yeah. is on the show notes. Yeah.
1: So that I, that is a clone of Strider, and I was, for the longest time, I mean that I would actually conflate Assassin and Strider in my mind. I'd think of Strider, I'd think of Assassin, uh, and for me that that in some ways that was Strider. I never actually played a competent version of Strider, i.e., kind of f- for us Europeans that would be the Mega Drive or or the arcade, uh, until I reckon around. When I started getting into kind of video games as a historical thing and trying mm. to go back and hit those touch points that I've missed, probably somewhere around, you know, the, the mid uh was when I first hooked it got, it, got it up and running on MAME and got an arcade stick and, and actually had a go. I found it really difficult. I didn't really give it that much time. And then about four years ago on the Retro Asylum podcast, we actually we actually had it as our monthly game club game. And that was the point when I actually then started to devote some time to it. Uh, I was able then, having spent the best part of a month playing it, I was able to get to the final stage, and I uh, nobly tapped out at that point. Uh, yeah. And then I went, I went back this time and uh, finally managed to get a 50,003 credit clear.
0: Nice one. <laughs> Play all count.
1: Play. I played it on... Uh, I've got an arcade cover home with a with main PC, so it's emulated. Cool. Um, but it kind of gives you the feels right you know you're yeah. stand, you standing on a machine kind of tapping buttons and, you get the
0: clickety clack
1: yeah so that's cool so i managed to get the clear on that literally you know pr- i what well, probably wasn't short of you know i reckon about 150 credits i would say <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, and then yeah. the,
1: Ever- the evercade i've also spent quite a lot of time which is a lovely yes. way to play it you know um, yeah it's
0: pre-installed on the uh only on the exp, EXP. evercade yeah
1: it. that's a really nice yeah. way to play it. Arcade
0: US ROM, you can uh plug it into your you can play it handheld or or plug it into your TV as well. So, that's yeah, I've played way. some of that too. Excellent. I notice it becomes easier as you get older to kind of uh create false memories or conflate memories. Um, but actually, I'm pretty confident that my early memory of Strider is absolutely real and genuine. And the very first time I saw it, I'm pretty sure, was on the Brighton Pier Palace Pier on the left-hand side as you walk in to the first main building which was absolutely stuffed with arcade cabinets and uh, I mean it still is an arcade but obviously it's uh, it's a lot of different kind of uh, machines now though it still has some more sta- uh, traditional video games but back in the day it was you could rely on it for a lot of the the latest machines A lot of them were the kind of generic, uh, electro coin or whatever, distributed or digital. I can't. What were they? I think we've talked about this before, but the various branded cabinets that would get distributed around the country, and you would Mm. you would come to recognise certain liveries and things like this. But I remember the Strider cabinet was. um, This was the era when monitors were starting to get larger. I don't know what kind of cabinet it was. I don't know if it was a a bespoke Sega cabinet or whether it was just a, a more uh, a a late 80s contemporary kind of cabinet with a larger CRT in it and whatever else. I remember the the screen being slightly more tilted back than it was on on some of the upright cabinets. I remember it being a bigger CRT, probably bigger than the one I had at home, and I remember the character looking huge. And I remember the first bit I saw was was here are you running up the the side of that dome in the the in the attract mode and thinking goodness me um because as we were saying, like home home games didn't weren't really in the in the eighties. Uh, it was incredibly difficult and expensive processor wise to do slopes and games with gradients in. So things tended to be flat platforms and ladders. So to see somebody not only running not not just at forty five degrees but also he can run at various different angles. I don't know how many it is actually, but it's not just eight directions. It's more than that. Um, and just seeing this big, bold character running up this uh, the side of this building, it was exciting. And um, I think I had a similar feeling to McKeel that, like, what was what was actually is this a sword? I, I, I kind of worked out that yeah, I guess the a- animation is so fast of him swinging the sword that you can't see see his hand moving. And I, but I remember the game actually looking and feeling almost a bit intimidating because of the it looked to me at, at that point in my, I guess I was 17 and obviously video games weren't what they are now. I remember thinking this character looks really complicated to control and move and stuff. Of course, it's not really is it's got a few extra little things he can do compared to other characters. But, um, but at the time, yeah, I, I think I did play it um, at, at the arcades once or twice, but I, th- I think I found it a bit overwhelming, exciting, but overwhelming. And it wasn't until I got a Mega Drive in 1991 when uh, when I started playing it in earnest. And I think I, I managed to beat it within a couple of years of having a Mega Drive. And I found, re-found out today, and I'd forgotten this, that while you can credit feed the arcade version and any emulations thereof, the Mega Drive version actually has a limited mm. a limited number of credits, which it doesn't tell you. It just <laughs> it just run out at some point. Um, so I was playing that earlier and getting to the latter stages, and then suddenly that was the end of the game. So I mean, fair enough. But I know that I I beat it back in the day. It would have been on normal as well because I used to have this silly pride about not playing things on on easy. <laughs> um, so I did that, and this time I've been playing the uh, the arcade version on uh the capcom arcade stadium as well which um which does allow you to tweak the dip switches and and set the difficulty but uh but again i was playing on the um the score attack mode but yes you can save states and that kind of thing um yeah i had a nice uh a one credit up to the final stage run yesterday so i was pretty satisfied with that of 30 years since i completed the game or more um yeah i've had it Uh, in various compilations along the way Um, the Mega Drive version pops up from time to time on various things Um, and yeah we'll talk about the differences as we go along Um, but it's yeah it's a game that's never been far from my consciousness I'm always uh, although uh, it did cross my mind to try and rope him in for the show but the editor of Retro Gamer magazine Darren Jones is uh, often cites Strider as his being his his all-time favorite video game which I can sort of understand, not because it's mine, but because it does leave an impression. And there were lots of things about it that really have stuck in my mind. And uh, I'm saving those for when we get into it. The basic plot, as we're told in the game, is is fairly standard stuff. Uh, Strider is set in a dystopian future in the year 2048, where a mysterious dictator known as the Grandmaster Mayo rules over the world. Hiryu, the youngest ever Super A-ranked member, of an organisation of high-tech ninja agents known as the Striders, is alone tasked with the Grandmaster's assassination. He begins his mission by infiltrating the Grandmaster's capital, Kazakh Soviet Socialist Republic, a federation referred to as Eastern European, which became the imperial capital of the Russian Empire by the year 2048, according to Wikipedia. Uh, I mean, the, the big bad is uh seems to be even though the uh there's this whole Kazakh Soviet socialist thing, Mayo appears to be if anything more maybe Chinese. Mm. Uh but then they're also based on a moon of some kind, so I I'm not entirely sure what's going on with that. Yeah. Um, Kazakhstan
2: also has uh yeah a lot of uh,
0: ethnic people of sort sure. of like Mongolian okay. background. Yeah. Right, yeah, that makes sense.
2: But uh, the the place that you land in the beginning looks more like Moscow and the Kremlin. It does. You know? <laughs> yes, it absolutely
0: yeah. does. Yeah, I mean you yeah. you the the first the first boss is the Politburo, which yeah. uh, which forms into a <laughs> into yeah, or, or, a, a hammer and sickle wielding snake.
2: Yeah. And uh, also, me and Ben were kind of joking on uh, on our podcast uh, that uh, he flies in like uh, Matthias Roosted on the Red Square, you know, with a
0: Cessna. In, uh, in- <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah what year was moment, that? The hang gliding. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. What year
0: was the was the was the Cessna uh, thing? Was that before? Uh, it's,
2: uh, yeah, I think it was a little bit before that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah definitely, because it was still during uh, the Soviet era. Yeah, first. Yeah. 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 Huh.
0: Yeah. Um, and the the Grandmaster Mayo is uh, inspired by both Emperor Palpatine and apparently uh, an image of Sauron as well. So right, yeah, kind of kind of standard stuff. But I think for me, like I was never, although it was interesting, the fact that it was this kind of globe trotting cyber ninja story. It was more about the overall. Es- the the art aesthetic and the vibe more than the individual, the, the machinations of the plot, especially having never had access to the manga yeah. back in the day. But um, I don't know, Chris, is that? Is that the same for you? Did you did you care about the the scenario? Did not, it matter?
1: Not coming to it later, no. But it, I, if I'd have played this, if I'd have played this back in the arcades, though, in the eighties, I would have appreciated the plot. You know, when you think you think back to that time, and most of the plots were around your girlfriend's been kidnapped, go and yeah. beat up or kill a bunch of dudes and, and get. You did back. that in the
0: sequel, well, in The non-canon <laughs> yeah. sequel. Yeah. Well,
1: this, <laughs> you know, this is this kind of, you know, this grand. Huge world ending stakes, kind of plot was hugely cliched now, but I would have appreciated it. Have they played this in the arcade. You know, it's cut, there's cut scenes, there's dialogue, yeah, yeah, yeah. They went big on it,
0: absolutely. It's, it's
2: like it's like a plot of political assassination, it's yeah. indeed. Yeah. It's
1: yeah. like the West Wing,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was the
3: big thing pushing me through in the arcades, always to see as much as like the cut scenes we get now are phenomenal and well acted and beautifully voiced. I, I. I wanted to see the next line of cheesy dialogue leading into the next level. That was always the thing that kind of um, spurred me on to keep playing. And with with the whole setting and scene and scenario, I think even as a as a young kid, kind of playing this, I I knew how ridiculous it was that there was it was kind of in Russia. But then there's some parts where you're in the yeah. Amazon, and and you know it's, yeah. it's all over the place in terms of tone and and the kind of enemies, Um, but I, I, I'm i fully down for that. I, I quite like the fact that they don't uh, try to try to play it too... St- well, they play it straight, but at the same time, you know, have a little yeah. bit of craziness, video game craziness going on there as
2: yeah. well, which, yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, and manga
0: craziness. Yeah, yeah for and sure.
3: And due to, li- to, due to the
2: limitations, they can't do, you know, overexpose the plot or anything. They can't do too much with it, but also which also kind of uh, aids the game in that you have to... You know, there's a lot that uh they leave up to your imagination a lot of blanks you're filling yourself which i kind of like
0: yeah unless you're playing the pc engine version which gives you uh Mm. more fleshed out and voice animated cutscenes cutscenes. yeah Mm -hmm. let's talk about the visuals because uh there's i don't think there's any escaping the fact that uh they were they were a huge draw they were very ambitious for capcom the 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 images because of the larger characters effectively is quite zoomed in compared to a lot of contemporary games and I, I don't think, again, it's one of those where perhaps I'll just sound old to our younger listeners. But um, but I, you know, I, I see Kane and Rince as being this kind of, uh, you know, archive of discussion of games from all eras and what they meant to us at the time and at the time and even, you know, for some years after playing the Mega Drive game at home. These visuals were pretty extraordinary, pretty outstanding, mm. both in terms of, um, there are some technical shortcomings with some flicker and some slowdown, especially in the home versions and things like that. But the overall look and style of the game from the moment that you zoom in on a cyber hang glider, um, the, the kind of the, the stylistics and the aesthetics of the buildings and the detail and the parallax scrolling. And really for me, the, the, even possibly at the expense of gameplay, in, in some cases in this game, it's all about drama and um, spectacle in a way that not every game was. You know, a lot of a lot of even Capcom games were about this carefully honed and crafted and precise gameplay. And Strider, you know, it I, for me it has enough of that, but it has some elements where, like, I don't think it would probably be possible to do a damage free clear of this game because it's pretty much. Maybe it is, but it would—you'd have to be a bit of, a bit lucky and stuff like that. It, you have it's to be
2: a very bit, aware of all the enemy placement as well, you know, like yeah, the little turrets yeah. on ceilings and, yeah. and floors and mm-hmm. what have you. Yeah,
0: I, I feel like that the while obviously that was still important to them, and they made a game which I think is is was fun then and is still fun now. I, I feel like the emphasis was on the spectacle, the drama, the visual kind of impact, yeah, visual impact, I should say as well, because yeah, from the. From the sound of the sword, um, and this is an interesting nugget which people may or may not be familiar of, but if you've only ever played the Western version, you hear the shing, 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 shing the whole time. And I love it. I think it's just this beautiful, clean, crisp, mm. sharp sound effect. But actually, the Japanese versions of the game, whichever version you're playing, have a, uh, an audio sample every time he swings his sword. Bah, 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 ba. And actually, to me, it sounds kind of daft the fact that he does it on every single swing, but maybe if I'd, if I'd heard that version first and, and got used to that, maybe I'd, I'd miss it. But I actually really just like the, the fact that he's this cool, silent ninja, just slicing everything. Shing, 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 shing. Anyway. Um, yeah, audio visuals, feel free to discuss the whole package. Mikheel.
2: Maybe yeah, this ties into also, of course, the level design, but, uh, I just love the visual variety in this game. And, uh, it it feels very early, um, you know, Contra games and then especially Contra 3 also had this very early take on sort of really set piece driven action game design, you know, that uh, has become, of course, uh, kind of the standard uh, over time. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, you're never too long in the same situation and you're moving on to... Yeah, something completely different uh, yeah. f- from time to time. and Very
0: little repetition at all.
2: Yeah, and most of it is uh, lovingly detailed and uh, depicted. Yeah. yeah. I-, I can't I think sp- of too many areas in the game that look subpar or anything. I
0: think for me, if I was going to pick one out, it would be the jungle level. I think the, the jungle level struggles with some, um, Though I think the dinosaurs are just not, uh, I just I don't think that graphic style necessarily lends itself to those giant yeah I've, biological yeah, creatures. But
2: yeah, maybe I've I've seen much uh, much worse of, uh, than than what you see here. <laughs> yeah, ish, <sure>. you know? <laughs> yeah. But I mean,
0: the, probably one of the most famous sequences in the game is uh, at the start of level two, which is the run down the the mountain. Yeah, um, and it's not just the fact that the, that sense of cinematic drama and whatever with that. It's also the the fact that the the music is, I think is, I just think it's so atmospheric, so fitting. And the backdrop as well that is so beautifully painted. Um, I think it's, it's not just the fact that you run down a mountain and do a cartwheel off the end, which is cool enough in itself, but it's the, the whole package has made that kind of a legendary moment for me anyway. Sean where where are you on on the audiovisual side of strider was that must have been one of the things which uh, captured your imagination as a kid
3: oh most definitely that's what I, I that's what really drew me into it just hearing the the cool voice samples and then when you look at the action going on on screen it just it just marries up perfectly i i think like it it's really the whole game is essentially just a series of of set pieces there's never really a yeah. a scene where you 're kind of just slashing around and not not kind of sure what 's coming up next. I think they do a good job of letting you know what's um what 's kind of coming up and I think like the first stage is a really good example of just super strong really good audio visual design lets you know what you 're in for as soon as you start playing so essentially once you kind of make your way to to that first stage, you paraglide in. You slice through your goons and robots, you fight the strongman, you go through all these different things. You've got the robotic snake at the end that you that you mentioned with all the guys jumping out. But that first stage, yeah. you get you three or four. The yeah, you, <laughs> you get three or four of these kind of set pieces, and that stage can be run through in about two minutes. So it just doesn't. Yeah. It just does not. Let in up fact, there like is that, a
0: timer, isn't there, which is about a minute and a half. So we, it might be yeah, less than that.
3: Yeah, so I think you get a little bit <laughs> extra each time. You like it adds a little yeah, bit more to point, that timer. Yeah. But I um, that was one of the things yeah. that I forgot about in the game, and that's not. Uh, that timer definitely keeps you keeps you moving along that it's not like you have too long just to stand around and try and get extra power ups you need to keep moving otherwise you'll find that you might run out of time when you're on a boss uh, i think it's good how especially it the it one who the keeps stage, dodging
0: though. you oh solo. yes that's a frustration uh, that yes, <laughs> yes it is
3: there's a couple of tricks there
0: what i learned in researching for this show and playing both mega drive and this version cyber the arcade version the original side by side is that in the mega drive version you can't continue without killing that boss in the arcade version, you can not only continue to the entire end of it, but he will continue to track you throughout the entire rest of the level, right up to the end of the battleship. If you don't kill him, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, which is uh, which is kind of awesome.
1: But on the audio, I think the thing that I love the most is, I mean, it's not I Muse, and and the tracks don't <laughs> don't don't feed into one another, but the the music. It, it going back to that cinematic kind of it, it's very much a cinematic game. absolutely and the music yeah. plays it's the cute, music, yeah and it'll change you know, for instance, the track on the um on the jungle level, which is level um four isn't it on the jungle level when you when you get to that point when you jump onto the back of the dinosaurs that that track kicks in the one with mm. the kind of funky mm. beat and mm. yeah. yeah it's
0: so memorable the the bits that i i still think the 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 way that the soundtrack is uh synced up to the action in the first couple of levels in particular is breathtaking. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Junko to me as compositions, uh, she's, she didn't do loads no. and loads of games. No. Um, this was her fourth game after Gunsmoke 1943 Kai. Mm. And Bi- and Gunsmoke
2: has a strong OSD as well.
0: The NES, uh, these were NES uh, versions as well, Gunsmoke yeah. and Bionic Commando. Um, she worked on Final Fight. She did most of her work uncredited as well. Um. Also wrote music for Sweet Home, the Resident Evil forerunner. On she didn't do uh, much FM. after this, did she, Leon? No, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what she, she probably went off and worked in. I don't know. I, I yeah. I should. I should know. But um, maybe she went off and worked in another part of the entertainment industry or something mm. like that. Um, but yeah, it's a shame because I think for me this is her sort of masterwork, certainly in the video game space. Yeah. And it is partly because they obviously, the developers obviously afforded her. Uh, enough time and space and memory and put the music at the forefront. Whereas, you know, you'll so often watch interviews with old developers, uh, sound guys from back in the day. And they'll be like, yeah. And they left me with 4k to do the entire soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And it was the last thing. And I had two weeks to do it before the game was published. This clearly had the music in mind from the start because it's absolutely integral. Even stuff like the first time you open up the robot pod and the Eagle flies out. Yeah. the, The robot Eagle there's that da, 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 da and it's like it's so clearly designed to be yeah. uh, synchronized with that. And then you get to the top of the dome, and then all the little fluttery bots come in, and you get that little cascade of sound as they emerge. And it's like that the entire way through the first few levels, in and, particular. And even,
1: it even like the, the it it almost becomes ambient at sometimes as well. There there are parts of the levels which are a bit a bit lower key, it doesn't last for long like i'm thinking in the first just atmosphere pieces yeah Yeah. like the the first level particularly when you almost reach a checkpoint don't you and then the power up appears on the left just before you start going uphill and the crawly robots start to come down it the music kind of almost becomes ambient just just for sort of 10-15 seconds and then it swells to the crescendo again i mean again late 80s it's it's pretty incredible
0: and those huge, heavy, atonal, sort of dissonant yeah. organ chords inside the when the when you're inside the the gravity ship that's going up. So uh, yeah, yeah. Just I can't say enough about how much you, I like it. Am I? You um,
2: really see in everything that uh, they set this whole project as as a multimedia kind of thing yeah. because it very much feels like they were trying to create a playable anime. in some some sort of definitely
0: yeah
3: yeah yeah i think capcom around this time i i associate capcom and this late 80s with strong sound design i can't think of too many of their games around that time that didn't have an excellent ost i i really like yeah. a lot of the stuff they brought out around around then so i don't th- i think that used to be somewhere where they did not miss very often
0: yeah uh and yes the the sound whichever version of the game you're playing uh you can still hear the the slicey sword uh in among the uh the voice samples if you're playing the japanese version but um but i think there yeah a lot of the audio is really memorable as well even beyond the the constant uh swing of the sword um there's some very meaty satisfying explosion sounds and some uh uh yeah even uh well <laughs> probably one place again where maybe it, I maybe it doesn't work so well, is the jungle with the uh, with the Amazonian women... Um, shrieking, shrieking. With the scream, shrieking yeah. Shrieking <laughs> <and> weird <laughs> yeah. gibberish, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is
1: that? What is so strange well, that their language is...
0: It's Swahili, apparently. Are um, oh, the, the
1: characters are speaking?
0: I think so, yeah. They're, really s- okay.
1: they're Swahili, okay. I thought they just the- made something
0: up. Well, I don't know. There's Swahili in the cutscene scene, um, because that was one of the un- unusual things about the game, is that they did use multi-lingual voice clips during the cutscenes we got some in english some in japanese some in mandarin some in spanish some in russian and some in swahili. Um, so my assumption was that they they were also speaking a, at least a phrase of swahili or something but it obviously it sounds nonsensical to me. It could be absolute nonsense. Um <laughs> certainly there were many interpretations. Uh, we've got a three word review based around a misinterpretation of, of the voice speech later on. But my uh, the the one I thought I thought they were saying was um, something along the lines of I'm going to McDonald's. <laughs> 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 but yeah, clearly not. Just come just back
1: to those home computer ports for a sec, just on the sound. I mean, that is one. You, you miss loads with the home computer ports, obviously, yeah. in terms oh, of yeah, gameplay of and graphics. But but the one thing that you get is on the 16-bit, so on the Amiga Atari ST, and I think it's the same on the Master System, you have one track throughout the whole game. Yeah. yeah. And, and if, if you manage to stick with it into the, the later levels, yeah, that track isn't brilliantly composed on its own but that is the only one you get it never changes yeah, yeah yeah and it it's it it just it's just reminding you just what you could have had
3: <laughs> i never really noticed it at the time or was um was bothered by it at the time but with playing the arcade version and the mega drive version side by side i did really miss those voice clips you still get the video you still get the mm. pictures but just not having the um the voice and it's all it's also a little bit muted just that sound palette compared to the to the kind of loud loud out there sounds that you get in the arcade. It is a little bit more, um, you know, muted through the through the Mega Drive. But the this, this sound's yeah. still good, just did not sound quite as punchy as, as what you're kind of used to. But, yeah, just a small um, – it's still a great soundtrack, so it still stands out.
0: I'm actually a big fan of some of the sounds in the Mega Drive uh, version. It's just that sound chip does it for me. Um, and maybe it's partly association and familiarity as well. But I yeah. actually think, like, the, I think the, the Level 2 track – the chimes on the on the Siberian Wasteland level, mm. I think I I, I think they said well they sound nicer to me on 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 the Mega Drive version, so yeah. but I think it's just yeah it's Yamaha related, yeah. um but yeah a fine conversion nonetheless. Let's talk about the gameplay. Uh, according to Moby Games, Strider lets the protagonist run, jump, perform acrobatics, climb walls and overhangs. He wields a plasma sword called Cipher through five levels, fighting robots and guards with mid and end level bosses. Strider's gameplay, according to Wikipedia, is cited as a major influence on Ninja Gaiden, Devil May Cry and God of War. Now, I think there should be a citation needed after that because I haven't seen the citations. But uh, I think it's just a useful little nugget for those who aren't familiar with Strider. Although it may give you an idea that um, Strider has more kind of in the way of uh, combos or, or, or sophisticated underlying mechanics, which it doesn't really. Uh, I would say. I mean, we absolutely need to talk about the control and the locomotion because I think this is for me, it's where the game both sings and also suffers a little bit in the sense of that. I think, as I say, I think the development was more concerned with creating something very cool and striking and cinematic, but there are a few points where the control is, is not absolutely as crisp and precise and, optimal as i think it was on a lot of capcom's other games of the era that said i find it way easier than um bionic commando which i am still utterly pathetic at um <laughs> whereas where strider i can beat um there are just a few little moments where for all the cartwheeling the joy the the clinging the mantling talking of sound effects the other important sound effect is the one where you clip onto a railing that's above you and 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 you hook yourself up and that to me still sounds and feels great to do but there's just a few moments like where you'll be trying to walk on a wall and then you'll just be kind of doing a weird kind of not fully connecting with the wall and falling off and you get the kind of weird falling down sound and do you know what i mean there are just some bits where it feels slightly less precise than you would say that you would expect from the studio and from the rest of the game Mm.
3: Yeah I'd, yeah, I'd agree. I think- I'd agree with that. There's a few little bits where there's some jank, and you can fall through. I, I noticed mm. that a little bit on the. Yeah. Um- I think it's the you fight him a couple of times, but it's the it's the long snake that's formed with all the with all Luriboros, the soldiers. I think he's called. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Yes. Yes. Ouroboros. So you fall if you're not standing kind of on the correct place, you can clip through and fall through the snake, which can be a real problem on that last section yeah. where it's taking you on the last yeah. level. Is you can just fall through and and kind of die to your death when you're just trying to get a lift to the to the final boss. Um. And yeah, a few sections I found as well where you where you're kind of getting away when you have to get out of a section quickly, if there's some fire or something to outrun, sometimes you had to really make sure you're pushing the right direction on the joystick, otherwise you could drop off or something like that. Especially when you're upside down. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, so super careful to to do that.
2: Yeah, and those descents also sometimes can happen that your feet... Leave the ground just a tad, which prevents you from jumping yep. at the right moment. Yes, exactly. That's right. That's yeah. right.
3: And some of it's by yep. design as well. It has that, and interestingly, built on that same hardware on of uh, Super Ghouls and, Go- or Ghouls and Ghosts. But it's got the yeah. um, once you jump, your your arc is your arc. There's no changing yes. your your jump arc, which kind of, that can be a little bit of an issue if you if you're trying to move quickly through the level and you don't know what's in front of you because you can you yeah. can kind of jump straight down a chasm to you there, but. I, I think that I think the game is very. The levels are designed in mind for that for that large arcing jump as well. So it's um yeah you can you can mitigate that if you do if you know the layout of the levels a little bit.
1: Yeah, I f- I find him a bit stiff to control. To be honest, I mean, and it mm-hmm. I find it, it reminded me a little bit of kind of the the way in which the, the in the early Shinobi games as well. You know, it's that it's that, and even in Rolling Thunder as well. It's that kind of era where. Although he is more nimble, Strider Henry, who is more nimble than some of those I've just mentioned, because he can, you know, he can mantle onto platforms and he can hook himself up and you have more options in your moveset. But I think in terms of his general locomotion, you know, things like what McKeel has just said, that that adds a lot of frustration, particularly in the fifth level when you're when you're going down the hill upside down and you're trying to jump across and sometimes you nail it, sometimes you don't, and it just depends on where the frame of animation is. Uh, you kind of have to
2: work with the limitations uh, that you have with the yeah. two button controls, and like you said, like the the locked-in jumping arc and everything. But uh, there's also the the slide across the floor, yeah. Which, uh, and at and also at any point, and Sean was also mentioning this at any point during anything, you can throw out that cipher sword, yeah, which yeah. is massive. So basically, you know, before you touch anything dangerous uh, that is destructible, you can you just just smash it because it just just about kills most regular enemies in one hit. Yeah. Uh, and then if you start picking up the options that you have um uh, and and the, the power-ups that you have um you know you don't you don't want to get hit of course but once you start learning the game you can be- become a, almost an unstoppable force mm-hmm. with those uh, little droids just shooting out those rings and you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Panther and the, uh, the Eagle. Yeah. And you got the, like the, the, sh- the, shadow clones, which also grant you some temporary um, invulnerability, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. You can just like, you know, smash everything. And even the bosses go down very fast.
0: They do. They, that is yeah. a really yeah, interesting aspect yeah. of, of this game. Yeah. So even the, the toughest bosses uh, and there's some quirks with them. Like it, again, if you're not standing in exactly the right place, They will always, you know, get a hit on you or or one that I've always thought was interesting. A bit of design is so there's this, you know, gravity core one in the middle of the the flying battleship. And uh, I still think it's really fun. You you kind of jump into its orbit and you get spun around it and Mm. you're kind of slashing from both sides. Now, if you don't do some damage before you start doing that, you will take a hit. Yeah. Um And it is simply that you have to do a little bit of damage before you kind of. I mean, you don't. You can actually kill it all from the side, mm. but it takes a lot longer. But if you want to uh, do it the spectacular way, you just need to make sure you've done you've done a, enough chip damage on it before you jump into the the kind of the the bit that you're obviously supposed to do because it's cool and fun. Um, without taking a hit. Uh, and yes, there is a lot of dying. Learning by dying in this game, I would say, and again for for a lot of people that would be considered perhaps a a bit of a you know a gameplay no no. And it was um, it was actually particularly interesting and funny watching uh, our friend Ben Cartledge, one credit classics. He played this on his uh, his his Patreon live stream about a year ago, and uh, he was not familiar with the game. I think he played it like briefly once or twice before, but watching him coming a cropper to all the traps, the tricks, and the traps describing the game as being nails hard which uh, for anyone who's familiar with ben's work is is him saying something <laughs> um and uh, it's a game that i'd kind of because i'd learned it so well over the years i'd never i'd kind of stopped thinking about it as a hard game just thinking about it as a as a game that was learnable which is obviously a thing but yes it is it's mean at first and in fact we were discussing earlier the the crew and i you can pretty much see the influence of Fujiwara on the game, Mm. the bits where he, his, his thing, as we talked about in the ghosts and goblins, ghouls and ghosts show shows is him wanting to make these hilarious, but basically unavoidable deaths (laughs) and watching Ben coming a cropper to the thing like the, the completely random thing on the battleship that just flings you out into space. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's a laugh yeah, out loud yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The first time, obviously, if you if you were on your last life and your last 10p in the arcade, it wouldn't have been very funny. Yeah. But watching Ben playing it on, yeah, on sort of emulation, of thingy. it's yeah. not funny if it happens if, to uh, you. If you get caught, if you get caught, you can <laughs> exactly. still you can still uh, you can still jump off, escape it. Yeah. it. You can still, yeah. jump out yes. of it. But
1: it it happens very fast. Yeah, you can't jump
0: off. You can't escape the piranhas though. No For example. They're
1: my favourite. <laughs> that's brilliant. I mean, and that is genuinely funny when you when is, you do yeah. because as well, you that that that's not an unavoidable death. So if you no. fall in there, you've fallen because you've missed a jump or you've fallen yeah. off or. Um, so that is uh, that is avoidable, but it would be a shame to miss that animation because it is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, there's yeah, a lot of those that-
3: parts. There's almost one in every, there's one or two in every level, I think, after the first level where it's just designed to yeah. take, uh, it's, it's, it's an arcade thing there. You know, you're doing a little bit too well. It's just their way of um, of making your yeah. credit feed the, the machine a little more.
0: Uh, what else about the levels? Do we need to talk about the level design and the and the control and and all that side of things? Uh, any particular standout moments of of quality or or frustration for any of you folks?
1: The the bit one of the I, I never liked enjoy I never enjoyed going upside down. That was always a bit of a cause of frustration just because. It did, oh, okay. I was never clear whether it inverted the controls or not. Um. So particularly on <laughs> the last level, which is going to get a bit of flack, and and probably rightly so because yeah. it is an absolute killer but the the one there's a bit on where you have to hang upside down whilst avoiding those poles that come out with the spikes on the end and i was never clear whether to kind of let go i would have to push up or forward on the joystick or pull back mm. because it was like well the gravity's inverted so mm. and i felt would just fall so many times, and again, that's a learnable thing. It's stuff that I could learn, and once I knew it, it'd be fine. But it's so hostile to new players. This game, you know, and and, and going to the difficulty thing for someone who I feel like I know this game now reasonably well, n- nowhere near as well as as some. I'm watching yeah. M- McKeel's friend McKeel shared a video with us yeah, on yeah. Slack. Of yeah, he makes it look so easy. He did one yeah. credit clear and kept the options. Yeah, no, all- no, no. That's yeah
0: but also watching incredible. that makes you realize it's one of those it is one of those playthroughs where there's very little that you actually have to have kind of world class hand eye coordination muscle control fine motor control anything like that because it's all learnable it's yeah. all repeatable so it's not that there are cuz cuz like every time i watch one of Ben's one credits on a on a Ghosts and Goblins or a Super Ghouls and Ghosts, there's always a bit of enemy behavior or a clutch moment where he pulls out something that I know I would just die on. Mm. Whereas this Strider playthrough, you can yeah. absolutely... And in fact, the game in some areas rewards you for pressing on a head rather than yeah um than sticking around so particularly like the
2: and that is where i think it diverts from the fujiwara games is that it's there's that
0: element of chaos is not there and that unpredictability and that rng of enemy behavior yes Yeah, yeah absolutely although uh and i guess that kind of segues nicely into the the difficulty discussion so i understand this game does have adaptive difficulty, which Chris, you spotted. I no I didn't even. I've never even clocked it in this game. Oh. So, we let's do, set a bit of um, context for this. So, it was amusingly there was a a, a gaming headline back in December, which was uh, something like um, Sony patents concept where games can adjust difficulty on the fly. <laughs> and we were all like, um, what? Uh, Gradius had this in 1985, and yeah. uh, like I don't the even know. The
2: infuriating th- thing is they could probably do this uh, yeah, yeah, as long as nobody specific. else has patented it before. Well, mm. absolutely, and it's, spe- <laughs> it's
0: probably specific to a, to a specific algorithm and a way of doing yeah. it. But yes, adaptive difficulty has been around in video games since, at li- well, for at least 40 years, right? Yeah. Um, but some games... Xevious might have had it as well. Yeah, yeah. Some games have it, and you notice it, and some games have it, and you don 't and I have never noticed it in Strider so what how did this manifest for you, Chris? What was so going on? Two clear
1: examples, one as early as the first level so there 's a bit in the first level when you 're going up one of the hills and you 've got kind of these um almost like turrets in the sides of the hill they yes, yes. kind of shoot and and also there are enemies nearby as well If you can get there without taking a hit by that time you 'll have a couple of options um, you, there will Russian be bullets. Robots, yeah. co- there will be bullets coming at you from the uh, human or humanoid enemies, as well yes. as the turrets.
0: Yes, right. Okay, uh,
1: and and that makes that bit for me for for as a mere mortal, mm. although mm. clearly not, uh, um, clearly not unpassable without taking a hit. I would always then lose at huh. least one of the
0: options. Interesting.
1: Um, Another one on the battleship on level two. So when you get above the cool bit with the flashing lights, and you get up to the bit where you have to jump from platform to platform onto the battleship, there will be far more rockets falling, bombs falling there. Yes, I did.
0: I did clock that today after because you made me aware of it. And I suppose this stuff should be invisible um obviously we 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 you know you've played a, a lot of games over a long period of time and you're very savvy to it but it, yeah it's interesting that it took it took <laughs> it took 40 years or whatever 30 plus years for me to even be made aware that this had uh, a ranking system such yeah. as it is i don't know i don't know if you know the specifics of it so if you go into the dip switches or the difficulty settings yeah. on say the capcom stadium it's it's got difficulties 1 to 8 yeah i wonder if it just slides up and down between those settings yeah, I don't or whether know. it's more so granular I, I was, than
1: that. I was very alarmed when I, I had this brainwave when I was playing this. I thought, I really want to try and get as close to a one credit clear as I can. This mm. was after I cleared it. And I thought, I was sort of awake in the middle of the night, and I thought, I wonder if Strider, I can go into the dip switch settings and I can I can tweak it, move the difficulty down. Mm. I was stunned and horrified to find that when I went into those dip switch settings, I was already on two and there is a maximum of eight. Default is four. (laughs) I was already on two. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. I did move it down to one, and the adaptive difficulty was very much still there in the same way. Um, Right. But the game was noticeably easier. I comfortably, got on one credit, got to the final level once I moved it down to Mm. one.
3: The other thing in, in terms of the difficulty, we mentioned before how the the game is designed to 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 kill you in certain points. It's just how it's been been put together. But if you get to the end, you can actually build up your life bar a little bit with some of the pickups that you get. So you start yep. with you yep. start with three health. You can build that up to five health. I think is the maximum with a couple of the the Six. options the robots with you. Yeah. But if you lose, if you if you've got five health and you make it to the final boss, and then you lose four of those health, so you go through to the next stage with one. I'm not sure if this is the same for all the arcade settings, but I found that it resets your power back to five for the next level. So as long as you could actually make it through. So if I was getting yeah, to the yeah. end of the level and I had plenty of health, I'd kind of throw caution to the wind and just... Yeah, I, wouldn't, totally. I wouldn't care if I took one or two damage yeah, because yeah, I know that the boss... You're going to refill at yeah. the beginning for the next stage. And yeah. if, if I had two lots of damage left on the boss, I'll, some of the time I wouldn't even try to avoid the, the first boss attack. I'd just stand there and, and literally kind of throw out the cipher as fast as I could and, well, that's and know it, that you I'd can, overcome before the boss.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You can tank it effectively, can't yeah. you? Um, because the the bosses never really take, even the final boss doesn't take that long to actually eradicate if you if you can really hammer the the attack button. Um, and again, the, the Capcom Arcade Stadium version has a, a, a built-in auto-fire option if you want it. I mean, yeah. it, it, in a way, it seems slightly uh, it's like slightly ruinous to to not have to smash your button in this game. But if you want to take if you uh, if there's an accessibility issue or whatever, you want to take the the RSI out of it, you can do that as well.
2: And I love just how, you know, even bosses falling very quickly to the cyber sword just sells how powerful that weapon. Yeah.
0: Is yeah Yeah. uh, uh, virtually everything in the game there's a few little floating robots and those bombs who take a few extra hits and some of the bigger sprites but pretty much every regular mob is a is you not only do you kill it with one hit it it literally the animation shows it slicing in half exploding and blood coming out (laughs) so (laughs) it's kind of yeah it's um it, it gives you that power trip really important as well that talking about the the lives in this um and the health thanks to uh to sean's research i learned something that i'd never understood before in all my years of playing 30 years never understood why some of your segments on your life bar were different colors mm-hmm. to uh, yeah, i assume yeah so yeah. i i assumed it was something to do with half hits or you know taking less than a point of damage or whatever but according to uh, the arcade wiki one of the game's unique features is the use of helper robots known as the options the options serve as support for hiryu by attacking any approaching enemy there are three types of options a a dipodal saucer a mushroom robot which moves around hiryu and attacks with ring-shaped lasers option b is the tetrapodal robo panther a saber-toothed tiger-shaped robot which remains at hiryu's side and lunges at approaching enemies and looks really cool And option C, also really cool, is the robo-hawk circles the air above Hiryu and dives down to destroy airborne enemies. Except for option C, the options are connected with one of Hiryu's life units, recognised by it changing from green to red, option A, or yellow, option B, and are destroyed if said life unit is lost. Mm. I don't think it explains that anywhere.
1: (laughs) No, no. There's no tutorial which tells you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the optimal way to play, then, right, is is you immediately lose enough life segments that you can tie your options to your final two health segments. Then build yeah. up your extra health segments by oh, getting power ups to the point yes. where you have to use lose more than three segments before you start to lose options
3: right yeah i saw uh, that strat. was what i couldn't figure out i had to re- watch that over and over to say why is this guy purposely losing three hit but then i realized that it was so that he could have he could build up the options early yeah that's that's kind of what it is hmm. so it, le- it gives you a little bit of insurance almost on your hits
0: yeah very cool deeper strength hmm. yep so i found uh over on the excellent shmuplations site uh, this was from a piece um, from 1991, translated by Shmuplations as they do, interviewing some of Capcom's designers, not people who specifically work directly on the game, but some discussion about Strider. Uh, Noritaka Funamizu, who was one of Capcom's kind of. Star designers uh, asked, uh, "What has been the response? Uh, what What has the response been like to Strider? By the way, I thought the fact that Strider is very linear might be a problem. And the response was, I think players who get into characters love the character of Strider and the crazy, out there stages you go through. I think the average player may find the stage terrain a little hard to understand and navigate, though. <laughs> uh, and again." that ties back to uh, me watching ben earlier and say a couple of points saying i don't know where i'm supposed to go mm. and again it's really it's really good watching that because obviously I've been playing the game for 30 years i know where you go although i had forgotten the route through the jungle level for a bit um but yes actually you forget that when you first play this game there's quite a lot of as i say I i, I did feel a bit intimidated and overwhelmed the first time i played it and part of that is it is the the routes through the level are not so apparent as they were in in other games of the time
2: yeah yeah again in the context of
0: the time you yeah. see that being, uh yeah
2: quite a little bit of a hang
0: up uh, and yoshiki okamoto also of capcom said yeah we were concerned about that the fact that the routes go through the stages the, uh, the routes through the through the stages are so linear yet the terrain makes it difficult to know where to go sometimes there's a number of things we probably do differently now this was in 1991, like the section with the moving platforms on the warship in stage three. Uh, Assume that means like the rotating platforms, that section, because that Mm. is quite confusing, I think. And there are multiple paths, aren't there?
1: The bits that zoom out, like we were talking about, you know, earlier where they kind of whiz out and you can get cast off into space. Is that stage three or four? That's three, isn't it? (laughs) It is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Stage
1: three on the airship. yeah. 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 Maybe it's that. One of the most brutal sections for me is, you know, when you the first time you encounter the orb, the the orb, the anti-grav orb, which mm-hmm. which you you spin around and and hit. We talked about earlier. Yeah. Just after that, you know, you'd think that's almost like a mini boss. You get to the end of that, and you take a deep breath. There's a power up there. You can't rest on your laurels there, though, because the floor is about to go on fire. <laughs> so you've <laughs> yeah. got to hightail it away. But that must have killed so many people. Oh just yeah. Just that, just that approaching fire.
3: I think if that bit doesn't kill then the next part where you jump up onto the section, if you don't know to jump straight up onto that helicopter, I, did, I didn't remember that playing around this time. So I jumped up and killed the first few guys and then the boss just flies off in the helicopter and he scrolled yeah, me he off the away, level yeah. and I fell off and died. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. that's, yeah, uh, yeah. It, uh, you pretty quickly learn that you were supposed to be a, a passenger on that helicopter.
2: Yeah. And and why all of a sudden randomly there's like a, an 18th century pirate there? <laughs>
0: Why not? It looks like uh, Cervantes out of Soul Edge. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what um, Ben called him Captain Birdseye when he when he uh, when he went up there. Yeah. He comes
1: down so fast though, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, I'm the, always surprised.
2: That. A the, boss. the PS2 uh, collection has uh, so sort of sort of proto achievements that if you um, complete certain oh, hidden okay. tasks, yeah, you yeah. get you unlock some artwork, you know, in the in the gallery. And nice. uh, I I. I killed that pirate and it popped up, yeah, like uh, like his name, like uh, Captain Birdseye or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you killed Captain Birdseye. <laughs> I, I like to strive hard for it, for my troubles. Uh,
0: on uh, the subject of uh, the adaptive difficulty, we had a, a tweet from The King Rocker who said, This was Capcom's first game with a computer aided difficulty adjustment feature. Although I don't imagine many people noticed or cared. I certainly didn't. Then again, maybe it wasn't the first, but it was the first game I heard about without feature. Yes, uh, again, citation needed. I don't know if it was Capcom's first game with a ranking system. Probably not. I would suspect they would have had something by the late 80s that had had adaptive difficulty. It was fairly common in Japanese coin-ops.
1: You know that most of these things, they always seem to make the game more difficult. They never seem to make it easier, do they? <laughs> Resident Evil did, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, they, yeah, they, they're they supposed to slide up and down to an extent, but obviously, they're, especially on coin-op versions, they're never going to slide it down to the no. point that the game's trivial because they still want to get you off the machine, don't they? Damn that! Not,
2: be- not below the starting rank, but for example, if you die in Gradius and you lose all your power-ups, the saving grace is that the rank will have dropped down. Yeah, And that's you don't get as many projectiles flung your way.
0: Well, that's it. Expert players on a lot of games like Battle Gregor and things like that die at specific points, don't they, to reset the rank? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alex79, faithful correspondent from our forum, says, despite having played Strider many times over the years in various ways, I'd never sat and tried to play through the whole game until now. I started with the arcade original via Evercade and found the game to be a lot of fun, if a little frustrating in places. The arc of the player's jump is non-negotiable mid-flight, meaning I lost a fair few lives to falling into the abyss. The game looks and sounds excellent still, with the music really standing out to me. The game is fairly challenging, but actually wasn't too difficult to complete on one credit after a bit of practice. (laughs) And I'd say I enjoyed it. Not one of my all-time favourites. It certainly wouldn't make my top 20 or anything like that, but an enjoyable few hours.
1: (laughs) Won't tell anything about my hundred and fifty credits. <laughs> well,
0: that's gone down <laughs> from the fifty thousand you said earlier. <laughs> so, has anyone? I've I've only watched a video of it. Um, the, this show was never going to focus on it. It's not widely available, other than obviously you can just emulate it. But is anyone familiar with the NES version that was de- developed in tandem with this original game? Not really. No. No,
3: I, I had a bit of a look at the videos online. I was <clears throat> I was interested to see that it wasn't just a scaled back version of the of no, the game, and it that it was didn't. a bit more, it, you know, had a little bit more backtracking and and things like that. So cool! Yeah. They tried something a little bit different uh, and to line it up with the with the manga. But um, yeah, not I I don't have much. I never really kind of played around on it or anything like that. It has mixed reviews. We're looking at it as well, yeah. it seems to be a bit of a love hate title.
0: Yeah I yeah. think there were games of the same genre that were considered a better bet on the NES basically and even then,
2: uh, even Capcom's on Bionic
1: Commando
0: yeah yeah
1: sure yeah. yeah they did something similar with, was it Gunsmoke as well it was a different game mm. on the NES yeah. isn't it isn't, it was common
0: it? for obvious yeah. reasons I suppose but Konami did it plenty of times and in in some cases you know people will swear by the the NES versions over the arcade machines because they were designed for a a kind of you know a fairer and more long term experience like Contra and things like that so it's um, an interesting one though you know i mean mm-hmm. i only had a brief look at it when when it was on the retro Asylum. i did, i did play
1: it i didn't n- not for any length of time that i could mm-hmm. um speak to it but, but from what i did garner and from what i've read you know it's almost a proto metroidvania
0: yeah um, yeah
1: it, it and it does look an interesting title with and it does try to tell a story which I now know is, um, yeah, as we've said, more more in line with the manga. Absolutely. And if you
2: look at the uh, quote-unquote rebooted Strider, the the more modern title, it probably uh, sort of, it's it's kind of like a fusion of the arcade Strider and the NES Strider. It has that non-linear level design, but then it feels, the combat feels and handles more and the controls feel and handle more like the arcade game.
0: Yeah. And as I say, weirdly, in the end despite being this multi-tiered multimedia project with a manga tied in, it never even came out in Japan. Uh, yeah. I don't know if there was a PAL version, but it possibly only came out in America.
2: Yeah, I think only America.
0: Yeah. So, yes, between August and October 1989, there were various home compute versions. We've already mentioned them a bit uh, for the Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, Spectrum, Amiga ST, and PC. Uh, A mixed bag, uh, some of them less uh, disastrous than others. Obviously, none of them really can hold a candle to the coin-op or the Mega Drive conversion. But um, I think if you're actually looking for one to play and actually have an enjoyable time, I would say the Spectrum version looks the most um, zippy and nippy in terms of actual character movement, whereas a lot of the other versions are incredibly stodgy. So I did actually own a legitimate copy of the Amiga version back in, before I owned a Mega Drive, obviously, Um because after that point, um why would you play the Amiga version? Um I think I bought it secondhand, but it was a, an original copy. Uh And yeah, I just remember having played the arcade machine and seen the arcade machine. Now, we did learn to expect and accept a certain drop in quality oftentimes with yeah. home computer conversions, but saying that uh, the the level of disparity between CoinOp and Amiga version varied so wildly yeah. depending on the developer and the amount of time and resources they'd been given because there were games like Pang and Toki and Rainbow Islands, which all had absolutely excellent Amiga versions. And then you got games like this, which clearly the programmers had no real idea how to kind of recreate a Strider-like experience on the Amiga. And yeah, you've got tiny sprites, um, super sluggish gameplay, Mm. colors, colors are wrong. Every you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it just feels like totally off brand by modern standards. Um,
1: Yeah. So disappointing because the Amiga
0: was capable, even in
1: 1989, you know, the Amiga had been around by them for a few years and it was, it was so disappointing. Now when you look back, knowing what we know now about what the amiga was capable of even you know even the original uh OCS amiga it's disappointing to think that it was such a a poor effort
0: yeah a lot of these were just cash ins weren't they um US golds even US golds production and uh, uh, like i get i get annoyed sometimes when you watch sort of retro gaming youtube channels and they just dismiss all amiga conversions as being disasters or yeah, all US gold yeah. games as being disasters which is which is unfair but it is funny to now to see it honestly this game got 94 percent in the games machine 910 out of a thousand in ace magazine um 93 uh, 92 in st format but expectations were different uh, mm. and and you have to you have to be cognizant of that but yes it was l- literally you only had to wait a bit longer before the uh the mega drive version was available
1: and, you know, if you want, before we go on, on to that, if you want to see how far mm. PC gaming has come in the last oh, 35 yeah. <laughs> years, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. check out the DOS port of Strider. Yeah. <laughs> well, was... Yeah.
0: At least with the Amiga version, you got some sound that was actually possible, you know, possible <laughs> exactly. to listen to without your ears falling off.
1: There's yeah. barely nothing in the PC. It's like it's like playing it in, in a vacuum.
0: Mm. Uh, there was an unreleased Sam Coupé version, according to Moby Games, when the Sam Coupé... Uh, which was derived from the Spectrum but had similar graphics power to the 16-bit machines, was launched. US Gold declared that if, as with Strider, we've already produced a game across all common formats, all we have to do is simply take the code from the Speccy version and the graphics from the ST and sort of mix them together. This should take one bloke (laughs) around two weeks at most. Whether this was the case or not, the game was never converted to the system. (laughs) There you go, eh?
3: Sounds legit. Is that is that true? As a game developer, Makiel, do you think it'd take a one bloke around two weeks to sort all that out? <laughs> I don't think. I'm not
2: the programmer.
3: I'm not the programmer in our outfit, but uh, still,
2: uh, from what little I know, uh, I doubt it. I think you that should do a Sam Coupe
0: version of Shield Maker,
2: <laughs> <laughs> a D Make. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, we already did a Pico Eight D Make. Did you? Yeah. Wow. yeah. Oh, nice. Or we? I uh, my my programming partner, sure.
0: Johannes, the yeah. Royal Wii. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so there was a Tiger handheld, <laughs> based on the uh, loosely based on the Famicom or NES version in 1990. Little LCD device, probably worth millions now in mint condition. I have no idea. Uh, the Mega Drive Genesis version arrived in 1990 with uh, Keiichi Yamamoto and Taro Shizuoka working on it, having previously worked on, uh, I think. Uh, The Revenge of Shinobi, which we talked about on a previous podcast. And they also were involved in the conversion of Space Harrier 2, which was perhaps less successful than The Revenge of Shinobi. Um, Alex79 again says, I finished the Mega Drive game today and thought that visually it's a really impressive port. The audio is a bit lacklustre, agreeing with Sean on that. "uh, And there's an annoying pinging noise to accompany every attack in place of Strider's grunt. The gameplay is virtually identically to the original, though suffers awful slowdown in places with frequent millisecond pauses. Also, I'm not sure if this was present in the original cartridge or if it's an issue with emulation on Switch, but it was just enough to be bordering on annoying. Still a solid port, though, with minimal differences aside from the final boss, which I think was a lot tougher than in the arcade original. Uh, So I I did actually chat with Alex on the forum about this. Um, So the, the, the pinging noise is... Correct, if you're playing the Western version, the grunt is just not there because it's not the Japanese version. The pauses in the mega drive version are accurately emulated on switch mm-hmm. um I think it's unpacking basically it so is. yeah, this was the first ever eight megabit mega drive cartridge, so it was uh two megabytes double the size of all previous mega drive cartridges to fit in all the graphics. Obviously, they still had to make some cuts in terms terms of audio and things like that, but yeah. Occasionally, it will just um, pause and unload. But yeah, it's never bothered me, but I'm probably just completely inured to it uh, through years of exposure. I think um, I was playing them back-to-back earlier, Arcade and then Mega Drive, and actually I'm really impressed with just how faithfully, possibly even more than Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, they Sega attempted to recreate game behaviour in terms of, where enemies appear and how they act and everything it's like it's clearly designed to be as faithful a port as possible there's no you know like in the common sort of eight uh eight or 16 bit ports of the day it would be a the program is obviously working under greater restrictions would often just kind of basically wing it and include stuff that was in the arcade game but in a completely different way or the way it controlled, but here actually, pretty much every technique and every strategy you develop in the arcade game can be used in the Mega Drive version, and, and so uh, and and vice versa. Uh, there may be some exceptions. The Mega Drive version has more slowdown. Any the volume other?
2: of enemies are also the same.
0: Yeah, I believe so. I mean, the the, the 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 thing is, there's only three difficulty settings on the Mega Drive, so it's hard to know which uh, of the eight they correspond to specifically on the arcade version but yes the volume of enemies and the positioning of enemies and everything like that appears to be pretty much the same there might be some minor differences but very minor yeah
3: i didn't notice too much kind of playing them almost side by side the the one thing i did notice was that boss that you orbit around that i i found Mm. that one a little harder to make contact with with the cypher on the the mega drive now whether that was just because i couldn't quite throw it out as quickly with the with the button but I normally would – I didn't Possibly. find a way to rel- reliably kind of take that boss down without taking one or, one if, if I was lucky or two kind of hits of damage yeah. with, with that. Yeah,
0: I think it's – so it, you get a quite a bit of slowdown and I think maybe it is true that it's possible that the arcade machine just allows you to throw more ciphers per second than the Mega Drive version like through rapid pre- – I'm not sure – yeah, it might be like a—it's a relatively minor difference because you can still yeah. hammer the button in the Mega Drive version. But yes, yeah. that does sound—that does sound quite possible. And that may also be what Alex is referring to with the final boss. Might be a similar situation where you just literally can't hit it quite as fast because of the the limitations. Sure. But yeah. um, but yeah, that was the first mini- version I finished back in yeah. This would 90s.
1: have blown my mind in 1990 had I seen this. Oh God, uh, yeah. I mean that it, I that was I was fe, I was fiercely loyal to my to my trusty Amiga but if I'd have seen this in the window yeah. of a shop the Attractmo Mode playing I would have been on hands and knees to my mum and dad
0: to this was get, it to get me one of these exactly it this was like obviously I was I was a bit older I was uh, I was 18 when I got my Mega Drive no 19 18 when I got my Amiga 19 when I got my Mega Drive and I loved my Amiga dearly um you know played on it absolutely obsessively for like half a decade but when when i got my mega drive in 1991 it was just so clear that certain kinds of games particularly japanese developed ones and arcade based ones were just nearly always going to be class above on the mega drive and actually you know this was a a 1989 coin op running on a 1988 console uh, and still almost kind of nailing it there are some there are some Cutbacks, uh but you know, but it has parallax scrolling, the the sprites are pretty much as big and all that kind of stuff, yeah. So while it's noticeably not exactly the same, it is yeah, really close and was super impressive at the time. And luckily it's still quite widely available. In fact, yeah, if you've got the if you've got the Switch Mega Drive client, it's there right now. So the master system version of the original game, I think, was also by US Gold.
1: Is that right? But, yeah, Tiertex, wasn't it? Yeah. Tiertex
0: again? Yeah. So it's probably based on the sixteen bit computer versions.
1: It's it's more it's similar more similar to the eight bits. Oh well, okay, so that makes kind sense. of looks like the Master System. Uh, sorry, the um, Amstrad CPC version. I think is the version it looks like the most. Wow, it's so so disappointing. Okay. <laughs> I mean if you had your if you've been round a mate's house and you played this Mega Drive and thought, right, I'll pick this up on the master system, it won't Ooh. be quite as good.
0: Cheapers. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Oh well. Uh more happily, now this is a system that um I don't think uh many of us I don't even know if Chris O'Regan's got one of these, but if you are lucky no, he enough, hasn't if you're lucky enough to own one of the Sharp X68000 series of computers which were around from what mid 80s to late uh, late 80s or early 90s. Um, these, uh, these machines were home to a whole bunch of almost arcade perfect conversions of a, of a load of top tier games of the era. This one came out in 92 so the arcade game was already three years old but actually if you watch someone playing this um, it's other than the resolution being slightly different, um, it's so close, so close to arcade perfect.
1: Is it higher resolution?
0: Uh, so
1: I think it might be.
0: I'm not actually sure. Uh, it's it, very close. It's, it looks different, slightly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It does P- look pixels different. are a slightly different size shape whatever.
2: yeah
3: i found it was very broad like uh, the the colors maybe was the main thing that i noticed with it was oh, just okay. the between the colors i thought it might have been a little brighter but yeah that's a very mm-hmm. non-technical uh, kind of descriptor of it
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah it's probably not something i don't know if there are i, I guess there are some x sixty eight thousand emulators out there but if you're going to emulate that you might as well just <laughs> emulate the arcade game but and imagine at the time you had it that would have been wow incredible been un- unbelievable yeah.
1: Yeah, if anyone's got a mister, it's quite easy to get it running on that.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, the PC Engine CD version or Turbo Graphics came out in 94, two years after the x68000 version. So, uh, as we said, Redbook Audio, extra level cutscenes and voiceovers. Uh, the new stage, Oil Fields, an oil refinery and military desert camp used by the Kazakh Federation. Includes a few new enemies and two original bosses, uh, including a commander who summons a giant monster resembling an ant-lion larva and a soldier who drives the uh, Sofkos R tank. That's probably (laughs) completely wrong. Reminiscent of the T-48 from the manga, according to the wiki. Uh, The graphics are definitely a, a downgrade from the arcade and even the Mega Drive version. But obviously with the audio and the... Cutscenes, there's some Sadly, this was not on the PC Engine Mini that I've got. The their version of Ghouls and Ghosts is, but Strider I think they maybe they decided was too I don't know, too obscure or too Japanese heavy or something, but yeah, not on there.
1: Strider's feet don't move when he's going uphill on the PC engine version. I find that really off putting.
0: Yeah. Kinda glides,
1: kinda skates uphill and it's a small point, but like when, when you think the hills are
0: really important, yeah, there's so many of yeah. them in the game, you know.
2: Scathing up hills is also where I would draw the line. Yeah. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. More like, yeah, Jet ground Radio. <laughs> Robin Enrico from our Patreon says, I want to mention the PC Engine CD version in almost all respects forgettable, save one. In having pre-boss fight banter and longer cutscenes between levels, it changes up the pacing of the game in a way I find preferable it really dials in that the adventure is meant to be a playable anime of the time and having a couple of seconds to breathe during the grandstanding helped me unlock that the designers wanted the player to take each encounter as a bespoke part of Strider's journey rather than another part of an endless onslaught on your quarters. Now the PS1 got uh, a really really accurate port again probably some slight resolution differences and you've got some loading screens in there and stuff like this but this was packaged in with the sequel which is canon the 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 canon sequel um but uh was i think it was released in pal eventually but it was quite late and probably unoptimized um but yes a separate bonus discs obviously if you can emulate ps1 you can find an emulation of that uh, which sounds quite a nice thing to have um, but I never bought Strider Two for the PS One. Is it in your any of your collections? We're not dis- we're not reviewing it in this show um, officially.
2: Planning it's, to it's- get it uh, very soon now, especially now that I have a Japanese PS One. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, something I would uh, love to search out and play in sixty hertz, of course.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so it uh, it uses two uh, D sort of anime inspired sprites on three D yeah. polygon
2: backdrops. It, yeah, the character of Strider is uh, very much uh, following its uh, re- his redesign yeah. from the vs. Capcom games. Mm. The way it looks.
0: So it was developed without the involvement, I think, of Koichi Yotsui, who had already moved on um, away from Capcom by this point and uh, made other things. So, but it is it's Capcom canon. Um, yeah, and the real Strider too. We'll talk about the other one briefly in a moment. Do Just we know re- whether
1: that PS One port was that coded from scratch or was yeah, yeah, it yeah.
0: emulating the No, it's support.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: cool. Yeah, I mean most of um, most of the uh, kind of uh, classic coin ops that were released on PS One were recoded rather than emulated. Mm, nice. Like the Capcom generations were all ports rather than conversions. R type mm. as well. But once we got into the next generation uh ps2 xbox uh the capcom classics collection volume 2 i think mikhil may correct me but i think those are emulation yeah it's a digital eclipse emulation yeah Yeah.
1: emulating the arcade version yeah 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 yeah
0: Yeah, those were 2006 7 you can still probably find those discs uh around on ebay or wherever probably not that expensive to pick up there was also a psp version they released two compilations on the psp and strider was on capcom classics collection remixed which was also emulation obviously you can also um hack your psp and do emulation that way but if you want uh, a umd with a with a bunch of capcom games on that happened uh there's another emulation available there was a huge old gap I was, oh uh, yeah i suppose i've forgotten the wii virtual console probably got the mega drive version yeah, yeah, it would have done. Yeah, I'm sure it would have done. <clears throat> uh, there was an arcade one-up cabinet with four games on it, including Strider that came out in 2019. And Jacobi Noctis from our Patreon says, I bought a Final Fight one-up arcade cabinet and it came with an emulated Strider arcade version. All things considered, it's a good emulation and those clicky arcade sticks and buttons one-up puts in their cabinets feel good. As for the game itself, the standout for me is the pixel art and the boss fights. I can't remember what the other two games on there are, but um, another two Capcom classics from the era, but obviously a much more expensive way of owning them than, say, the Capcom arcade stadium client. Um, But you don't get a cabinet with those. Callium Lucas, or Lucis, from our forum says, I would have first played the arcade version of Strider when I was about eight or nine years old, around the late 90s. I remember the pixel art being very good and really liking Strider as a character. I wouldn't actually replay the game until I was gifted a Final Fight arcade one-up machine. Whoa. One of the games on it was Strider. Yeah. The Cyber Ninja aesthetic is still as cool as ever, and the pixel art is actually better than I remembered. A standout was the boss battles, which I really enjoyed. The controls felt a little little weird, though. That being said, revisiting the game again for the show was very pleasant. I was able to play it with my seven-year-old son and sit with him at the arcade cabinet. It was simple enough. He could slash his way through and be very cool doing it. But I did end up soloing until credits as the game is quite tough. I can't recommend buying an arcade one up for the same experience, but I do think it's worth playing, especially if you're a fan of hack and slash games and want to experience their origins or if you just love being a ninja, which I think we've established we do. Uh, Yeah, I think maybe we didn't give quite enough time to the boss rush at the end (laughs) because does anyone know which the first game with a boss rush was? Does anyone have their first memory of a boss rush in a game? Because I think this would have been a quite early one. Maybe the first Rockman was uh, yeah. death. Yeah. Also
2: Capcom, of course. Yes,
1: yeah. 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 Uh,
3: maybe Fantasy Zone was the only other one that I can think of as a boss rush in a very different kind of game. But oh, um, oh, Fantasy yeah. Zone, yeah. I think, had the final level. You had to kind of retake down all the all
0: the bosses again. Huh. Right. Yeah. I don't actually know if, if, I mean, I guess the information's out there somewhere. But yes, so uh, it is um, it is a game, as as we say, you can learn and kind of, the bosses, as we say, can be taken down quite quickly. But yeah, but throwing a boss rush right towards the very end of the game is um, feels a little bit punitive. Um, and then there's <laughs> a bit where you have to actually ride the Ouroboros across Several screens, and there's even a kind of cutscene within within that before you uh before you face off the final boss who's uh has anyone tried to kill it before uh, you reach your destination does that work? I never actually tried
2: no I'm just scared to try fall yeah. to oblivion presumably
0: <laughs> but I'm yeah. sure it lets <laughs> you because this game yeah
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> fall I, to oblivion and get eaten by piranhas
0: i can, I, I remember <laughs> seeing. Of.
3: I remember being in incredibly impre- impressed by that part when I was when I was young because for me that was one of the first examples of kind of cinematic storytelling within yeah, yeah. A, a game in the engine I just thought how cool is this that there's this mm. um this lead up to the big bad to the final boss that I've worked so hard to get to that was yeah, that it's final crazy lines of dialogue as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that final reward for that and kind of riding something that was a threat in the first level and now it's your now it kind of jockeys you up to that final boss. I just I I just always found that bit really cool.
0: Mm. And then the final boss itself, did anyone uh think that was a cool boss battle or a terrible boss battle or uh, any thoughts? It's got it's purple, to say it's purple a cool homing boss battle, lasers. Then. I yeah. mean
1: it just it it's hard to pin him down. I mean I didn't my difficulty was with the level as a whole. I think I I kind of lost about 2 or 3 credits to that but um yeah I mean it it's typical of all the other boss battles if you can actually land a few hits with the cipher he goes down. It's just yeah. landing the hits is the problem.
2: Like what you see yeah, Ex totally. Mosquito do in his uh
0: in his one life clear. You basically don't want to see the boss for very long. If it's if it's no. on screen for more than like a second you're probably in trouble <laughs> you do get a credit
1: roll though which is pretty cool yeah
0: Going you, you, you jump back to earth from space and land on the back of a humpback whale
1: yeah,
0: I mean,
2: yeah. how cool is that as one does exactly
0: <laughs> and yes for the sake of completion uh yes the uh, the wii virtual console got the Mega Drive version in 2011 it's important yep uh next official release that i could Find was uh, as part of the lineup of uh, stock Mega Drive minigames, September, October 2019. That's another way to play it. And then next was the Capcom Arcade Stadium, which is a free to download client on uh, Switch, PS4 or PS5, Windows, and Xbox One or Xbox Series. Came out in February to May 2021. The good thing is that. Um, you can often buy the games for pretty cheap now. They, yeah. They're very often on sale. So you could probably download Capcom Arcade Stadium and Strider for literally a matter of like the price of a cup of coffee or, or less, actually. Uh, if you were curious and yeah, um, Capcom, Ar- both Capcom Arcade Stadia are well worth owning um, as things. Very nice packages of uh Neatly curated games. The only disappointment is, of course, they are missing most of Capcom's licensed games, but otherwise they're comprehensive, I think it's fair to say, with great features. The Switch version on the Mega Drive client arrived October 2021. And uh, just as a heads up for those who aren't aware, you can actually, if you just create a Japanese eShop client for your Switch, you can download, if you own a subscription for the PAL version or the Western versions which include the American ones as well you can download the Japanese uh virtual console or whatever they call them clients for all the machines now which means you get um you get the opposite roms or the the original Japanese roms in all cases so that that works across all formats NES Game Boy Famicom whatever else is on there um N64 so you get nice scans of the uh, Japanese box art and the different ROM variations where appropriate. I just thought I'd make that PSA because I keep them both installed, both you regions installed.
1: To you grunt to your heart. Well, exactly, <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly. If that's if that's what you want. Uh, so there's a work in progress, which is the Falcon edition of the Mega Drive version. So this is a fan project. Um, I don't. I don't believe it's been finished because um I was looking at the YouTube and they've still only uploaded uh, footage of the first level and yeah. some of the second level. and this is essentially, I assume uh, taking the limitations away from the the size of a of the ROM cartridge that the original Sega team had to work in, and also maybe taking another look at the arcade version and just ever so slightly tweaking the mega drive version making it look ever so slightly more like the the original arcade version. It's one of those projects that part of me thinks, what's the point? But another part of me thinks, that's really cool that someone's doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh... Well, they're
1: doing it for themselves, aren't they? They're, they're doing it because they enjoy, there's, there's people out there that just enjoy eking every single last drop they can yeah. out of a piece of hardware. And that's really cool if that's what they enjoy. You know, because there's, yeah, obviously it's not going to be a commercial thing. So good for well, them. No. Yeah. You know, it's. I, I think the uh the 1990 version for the Mega Drive is good enough.
0: Yeah, so if you want to check that out anyway, um, head over to YouTube and just search Strider Falcon, uh, edition, and um, you can see the work that goes on. Often these things get abandoned anyway because mm. basically there are a lot of work and, yeah, not everyone <laughs> has the time ultimately to commit to it but um yeah interesting anyway so, yeah we mentioned uh games that were inspired by strider assassin was certainly the top one on my list team 17 game originally came out as a full price game in 1992 and then ne- the following year i think was as team 17 did back then they would re-release the same game as a special edition <laughs> on uh, on budget but actually in many cases uh, and this was probably the most comprehensive reworking it was almost like a one point five version uh in in the days before patches uh so assassin special edition was um yeah a uh, a substantial upgrade in many ways but yeah there were certain aspects you played a you played a guy who ran about on slopes was i suppose the thing um, <laughs> <Hand-giving>, <laughs> the new and climbing the new the new thing stuff yeah yeah hanging from ceilings this was uh coded by um one of the designers on it was david broadhurst who'd also previously worked on i believe the conversion of ghouls and ghosts Mm. for the amiga so there's kind of some sort of curious synchronicity there i think he also did the amiga version of bubble bubble um switchblade 2 was uh, a gremlin graphics game which uh, also definitely took some notes from striders sort of overall vibe and presentation again mm-hmm. a sort of side scrolling cyber ninja game from uh, simon phipps and co uh, no sorry that was the original that was the original uh, this was by george allen this one. Um, there's a game called run saber on the super nintendo yeah I never got this. It hmm. always
2: looks like Strider but not as cool. Yeah. Uh nothing <laughs> else. Even though it has good. one uh it has one cool feature in that uh, it there's a two player
0: co-op at the same time. Aha. Yeah. Coded by Horisoft for Atlas. Came out in yep. nineteen ninety three. Um I think some of these uh slightly more obscure SNES games have popped up on the Switch SNES client, but I'm not sure if that, that's one of them yet. Uh I don't think I've seen it. And I also very, it's vague and loose, but I always thought that Hagane, the final conflict, always had a bit of a strider influence going on in it. Is
2: yeah, a little bit of Shinobi Three, a little bit of uh Yeah. A little bit of Strider.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh we've yet to cover Hagane on the podcast because <laughs> it means you have to beat Hagane, <laughs> which uh is notoriously one of the more challenging my, uh, games.
2: My my friend Peter Sheffer did that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't take him that long. So okay, probably also
0: a game that uh, is very learnable. Up, is he up for the podcast? I've seen a GDQ speed run of it, and it did make it look easier. But then they do, don't they? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he would be up for it, yeah, for sure.
0: And uh, I think um, cited in, in a number of articles, uh, it said that uh, some element. I'm not a big Mega Man person. Um, and I'm certainly not familiar with the X and Zero series, but I am told that there are influences in those of Strider. Is that fair? Anyone familiar?
2: I can't think of any apparent
1: influences. No. No. stretch, though, is it, to, to think that there would be?
0: It's not. Yeah, No. yeah.
3: Nothing coming to mind, but I'm sure it will as soon as we we finish the podcast. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, as soon as we hang up.
0: (laughs) So yeah, Strider 2, this is the one that, um, as I say, this is not a series show, but this is absolutely uh, not a game that is terribly likely to ever get its own podcast. Um, This was TierTex's off-brand, non-canon, uh journey from the darkness i'd actually forgotten because i remember this coming out on the computers Mm. um but then it actually did end up coming out on game gear master system and mega drive as well Mm. um yeah uh i don't want to i i can't really you know i don't like laying into games that i've never played so Mm. i'm not gonna but i never want i never wanted to play it i'll I'll be as cruel as somebody from capcom thought it'd be a good idea (laughs) Yes, it was originally uh, a different game entirely. um it was a reskin, and it was, was it? It was a reskin. Yeah, it was a reskin to be a Strider mm. game because obviously they'd had a hit with Strider, so yeah. Anyway, the real Strider Two was the 1999 arcade game, which uh, which was ported to PlayStation the following year. Um, which is on some of our wish lists. We might cover it someday. Another game that you have to mention if you're talking Strider is the game called Osman, also known originally in Japan as Cannon Dancer, and this was by Koichi Yotsui, credited as Iske. Um, probably the closest Mitchell for Mitchell, yes. Um, and uh, happily, as of last year, yeah, 2023. Yeah. Uh, Ratalika made sure that this game is available on current gen and last and previous gen consoles. You can go and download this right now if you want to play a game that is a lot like Strider, but not like Strider as well. But it's kind of it's clearly a a, a true spiritual successor, right?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah,
2: very much uh, similar in its presentations and sort of yeah design ethos.
0: Yeah, it's still on our big list, folks. That's why we're only covering it in brief now. It could happen. Also
2: Uh, very learnable like Strider.
3: Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it certainly looks a lot like Strider. It looks like an updated Mm -hmm. kind of uh, Strider. And um, yeah, yeah, it looks um, Yeah, this might be another. If someone loves Strider, this could be a good recommendation as uh, something else to
0: play. It is. Oh, yeah. Go get Mm -hmm. it. Uh, There was a reboot project which didn't come to fruition. Prior to the one that did, this was... uh, being worked on by Grin, the Swedish studio who made Bionic Commando Rearmed, um, which was quite well received, although the sequel less so. Um, I think this was when one of the Grin coders had worked on uh, something for Capcom, like Lost Planet 3, does that sound right? And then mm. had pitched a Strider reboot to Capcom when they w- around that sort of time. Um, a and, uh, There was a, a CG kind of uh flavor promo hype video that was made um which resurfaced a few years ago but that's as far as it got i don't think there's any gameplay or anything like that out uh that would have been interesting but mm. uh gaming history is littered with those projects right uh moondiver was kind of hyped up at the time as uh, the new game from the guy who brought you Strider. Uh, Koichi Yotsui this was uh, mailed made for Square Enix and came out on um PSN and uh later Xbox Live Arcade in 2011 but the reviews were tepid let's say
2: yeah um i think it's really designed for, for players, co- co- four players yeah. four player cooperative play because uh the level design is uh fairly tepid and a little mm. bit empty and barren feeling
0: you know yeah it's a shame I remember yeah. being excited for it. I like the name Moondive.
2: yeah yeah I did get it yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I bet you get a lot more out of it if you play with four people at the same time.
1: Do you know if this is still available to download now?
0: should be
2: should be I think it? so
0: yeah yeah mm. yeah ps p s three store is still open uh, was given a stay of execution, wasn't it so yeah. um not sure yeah, I don't know what happens if you search it on it search it out on Xbox, but mm. worth a try for sure uh, and yeah. Then there was the 2014 game by uh, Double Helix. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, uh, yep. Double Helix. And, and... Yeah. Um, with some assist from Capcom, Osaka uh, came out on PS3, PS4, PC, 360, and Xbox One in 2014. Um, I bought this, played it, completed it, enjoyed it. Um, it could still get its own podcast sometime. But yes, I think we've kind of said it's Metroidvania. Yeah very much a 2014 era game and possibly takes as many cues from the NES game as it does from the arcade game
1: yeah
0: yeah I think so sorted
3: <laughs> it's a good it's quite short too it's a nice um it, yeah. if you still if you want to play a kind of six to a, a six to eight hour metroidvania yes. and still kind of feel like you've uh like you've done a lot and learned a lot in that time I think it's a it's a good uh, recommendation. And they've got that mechanical feel of the game, right, as well. It control mm. I I don't remember it as being one of my favourite metrovanias, but the thing I do remember from it is just how well it, it controlled, which is pretty important for Strider, I think.
0: Nice summary. Yeah. Yeah. Reviews were good rather than stellar. Uh, yeah. 70, 70s, basically. Yeah. The I,
1: expectations were super low, weren't they? Because I remember when it was announced mm. and there was this wave of excitement. Yeah, there's going to mm. be another Strider. And then it was, oh, Double Helix are doing it. Yeah. Um, but, but good for them, you know, they, they yeah. produced a good game when I think many people weren't expecting them to fail.
3: Yeah, I think for anyone that is into the Humble Bundles, they may even have a copy of Strider already. I think from memory I picked it up yeah. in, in a Humble Bundle along with, mm. but actually with Bionic Commando, Rearmed, and a bunch of other games for, yeah. you know, a, f- a fiver or something like that. So, mm. um, yeah, it's, it comes up on there quite a bit.
0: Mm. Double Helix, uh, no longer with us, of course. In fact, this was yeah. their... Pretty much their last game or penultimate game. Um, Amazon is yeah, part of-, of Amazon now. <laughs> oh, are they? Okay. Yeah, I think
3: bought out by the Am- part of one of the Ooh. Amazon studios, I think.
0: Right. Good knowledge. Bionic Commando worth owning just for the soundtrack, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we might cover that mm-hmm. game someday too. Strider Hiryu. While he doesn't appear in Texas, US Gold's uh, Strider 2 because they weren't allowed to use him, he does appear... In all four, I think Marvel versus Capcom games as a playable character. I've never played Infinity, but I'm pretty sure he's in the other three. Yeah, no, he's a, he's even in uh, Infinite he's as well. Even in yeah, Infinity. Um, love playing as Strider in those games. I'm sure we talked about it on our versus show, Capcom versus yeah. series show. Uh, lots of fun, funny. He tends
2: to be very glass cannon, so he can do a lot of damage, but he can't take uh, a lot of yeah. hits. Yeah, sounds about but right. But it's very cool how they. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's very cool how they uh, incorporated also the uh, options into his yes. uh, gameplay with Super uh, moves. The, with, his, uh, with his robot buddies and he can call them out. And even the 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 enemies' uh, bombs and parachutes are a part of his arsenal. Oh, yeah. Co- sort of co-opted co- that into yeah. his uh, overall arsenal, yeah. And he goes shing, shing, shing. Yeah, and he can cling on walls as well. Yes. <laughs> you can just stay there. It's not like a wall jump, but you can actually on the wall yeah. and kind of shing at enemies that try to approach you
0: yes mm-hmm. he's he's a bit like uh vega slash balrog but without the yeah. uh he does sort of izuna drop type moves if i recall as well does he yeah yeah yeah, yeah he yeah, does yeah. have that as well yeah mm-hmm. and he also pops up in namco cross capcom which i'm not sure how many people have played and project cross zone 2 on the 3ds I completed the first one yeah. and uh, the second one I still uh is still on my uh, backlog
2: but sadly yeah, I look
0: forward to it no longer available on the digital stores
2: no grab a physical copy i don't know probably pretty expensive but yeah uh, these things as these things tend to get yeah
0: and yeah does that is that that's all of strider up to now is it pretty much i think so mm. but
2: it's just really cool how even though you know he hasn't been blessed with a, a long series of games Via his appearances in uh, the likes of uh, Marvelous Capcom and these uh, other crossover games, he's uh, lived on. You know, he's stuck
1: around. Still, yeah. Just one little addition to your releases, Leon. We have mentioned yeah. the Evercade EXP. Um, oh yeah, good
0: point. But it, yeah. it
1: did get it, we are, yeah we've mentioned it. It's it's on that. If you've got an Evercade EXP, it comes uh, it comes pre-installed. Yeah, very nice.
0: Yes. Uh minor caveats one it's only the us rom and two yeah. you've got no dip switch options whatsoever correct uh yeah. but you can now adjust the controls at least yes yeah,
1: yeah because they and they do need to be changed that caused me no end of issues
0: <laughs> excellent here we go then three word reviews first time of the volume follow us still at kane and Rince on x that King Rocker says BFS. Alex79 says Random Jurassic Stage. Clarkanoid
3: says Ankle Boot Jungle. It's Hayes Hill says Swoop Slash Slide.
1: Robin Hoodie says Leave Eurasia Alive.
0: Kantanah's Ghost says Striding for Greatness. And Atik Bhagwan says Gymnastic, Bombastic, Fantastic. <laughs> nice work. Good use of three word reviews there. And now I don't really know in which order we're going to go in this show, but I have a feeling I'm going to start with Chris just because he's said the most negative things about particularly that final stage. <laughs>
1: mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Look, I, I really appreciate Strider for, for what it was and, and what it is. And it's best assessed, I think, and best judged in its historical context because if you do that, And you compare it to not only the other arcade games that were that were released and were around in 1989, but you have a look at some of its home ports. You'll see that it is an absolute technical marvel, Uh, a a series of still pretty impressive set pieces. Maybe one of the first kind of cinematic character action games Mm. ever made. And one that's clearly been very influential, not just on its uh, immediate games that were released in its wake, but I think you could probably follow its lineage right through to some of the, you know, even even the modern uh, cinematic uh, platform action games that, that we get today. It's not without its difficulties, though, particularly if you're not familiar with the game or you're not prepared to be patient and put in the time to become familiar. There is... There is some jank there. There is some odd little control quirks such as, you know, falling from ledges and how you how you kind of get onto and off walls. There are plenty of times in which you'll die and you won't really have any choice about whether you die, but you'll know not to do it next time. Less of an issue when you're not putting your twenty Ps into a machine. It just means that you have to you'd you have to either start from a checkpoint or, or or start another credit. In this day and age it's fine. There is still fun to be had, but I think by the time it gets to level 5, for me, it had outstayed to welcome. I, I did manage to get through level 5 and get a clear at the end, and I've seen evidence that it can be learned and it can be done without even dying once. But my word, the horror of that final level, the, the kick-you-off-the-machine stage, is enough to probably say that I'm not 100% behind a recommendation on this Mm. if you have nostalgia or you appreciate the historical aspect of games by all means uh, fire it up and give it a go it's very accessible now as we've just outlined if you've not played it and you've not got the appetite for a little bit of frustration then uh, maybe just listen to this podcast and, and enjoy the fact that we've done it for you
0: thanks Chris It is always difficult to, well, impossible, in fact, to separate the subjective from the objective, which is why, in many ways, I encourage us not to try. I know that my experiences of this game, my opinions of this game, my emotions towards this game are massively impacted by the game's impact upon me as a 17-year-old when technology was completely different, when our expectations of what video games could do were completely different. And as such, I think if you'd never seen this game back in 30 years plus ago uh, and you just fired up Capcom Arcade Stadium right now just to see, just out of curiosity, I, I just don't think there's any way this game could have the same sort of dramatic, striking power as it did on me back then in the late 80s when I was 17 that said I don't think that you can deny or argue too strongly against Strider's kind of um, influence on a lot of aspects of video games going forward and while I think Strider suffers in some ways from its focus on spectacle and drama over precise gameplay mechanics um, as I say not that it's without those I still find the actual the feel for the most part of of running and slicing in this game and the and the audio visual feedback absolutely satisfying there are aspects of this game which i think are a little more rough around the edges than some of the output from the time not all of it cuz goodness me there were some earlier games that were even harder to play but um so much of of what's cool about this game is is the the combination of the audio visual and the kinetic um, and the haptic and as such I don't know yeah if it is as, as Chris says I don't know if it is a strong recommendation to to folks of today to you know to play it to the point of completion or, or get good at it or anything like that but I think it's absolutely worth looking at from a historical perspective and I still think things like the I mean the pixel art I think broadly stands up i think the music stands up and actually what what struck me coming back to the game now is that i realized how many times i've played through the first three levels of strider and absolutely loved it and the amount of times i've then just turned the game off because once you get to the amazon jungle that's for me like i'm i don't like that level as much i don't think it looks as good i don't think it's as interesting to play stuff like the bendy creepers that you the clamber around were pretty Mm. cool tech for the time but they don't i don't think they look great now i don't think much about that level looks great and then once you do that level you're into a really really gnarly final level which again goes back to looking quite cool but is uh is brutally designed to throw you off your game so yeah play the first three levels of strider (laughs) that's my recommendation (laughs) um the 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 audio visual stuff is still really really amazing i think and um and yeah it's fun fun to clamber about and slash things for a bit but yeah you don't feel the need to to one cc it although you'll probably get a lot of satisfaction from it if you do and we'll hear from sean in a bit but now mikhail
2: Yeah, as I said uh, early on in the beginning, what is really cooler than an action game starring a ninja? Not much. And not much in this era, in the the late 80s, early 90s, is cooler in that particular vein than Strider, I think. Uh, It's absolutely mind-blowing when you go back to this game to look at the time that it came out in and just, just how advanced it was in so many ways. And I think it's still, to a degree... There's you know, barring some spiritual successors, uh there's hasn't been too ma- much in the way of like pure 2D action games uh that uh yeah kind of kind of carries that torch in a similar way with its uh heavy focus on set pieces, mad acrobatics, and just uh that sort of uh power trip and power fantasy that it gives you where you are this uh sort of a ninja super soldier that knows no equal with a, a mighty plasma sword that just uh, cuts through everything like it's nothing. Uh, yeah, I think for that reason alone, even if, you know, I I myself only started playing the game in the mid-2000s or thereabouts uh, and, and was mightily impressed. I think for that reason alone, you can go back to this or play it for the first time and get at least you know, something out of it. Like, just, if only for the fact, you know, like, that, that realization that this just came, this came out in 1989. And, you know, on that level, it surely should uh, impress any
3: fan of video games.
0: Excellent stuff. Thanks, Mikhail. Let's wrap up with Sean.
3: So yeah as mentioned right at the start Strider's is a quite an important game for me uh It's definitely not in my in my kind of epic shelf top games or anything like that, but it's just a game that's so striking, reminds me of a time in in my life uh remember seeing it in the arcade. And I don't know if there's any game from that long ago that I can kind of remember each stage, bosses, different things that happen within the stage. It's just incredibly memorable. Um, And I've definitely had my nostalgia goggles on a lot like Leon said with with this game where for me when I come back to playing it instantly puts a smile on my face when you fly into the first level on your hang glider it just it just brings back a lot of a lot of kind of even though at the time it wasn't the happiest time for me I I do have some happy memories around that time and and yeah gaming that kind of those kind of games with that mechanical feel are as something that I've always really enjoyed I think that a game came out like this in 1989 Is really impressive Looking back When you when you look at that same hardware And think only 12 months ago uh, Ghosts and Goblins or Ghouls and Ghosts Was released And then 12 months later They are able to push the hardware To do this kind of thing With the huge sprites The scaling uh, The rotating platforms and things All of that I think was really impressive for 1989 And it culminates in a very impressive uh, game in Strider so I, I would recommend it these days. Definitely recommend to play. Although, uh, take that with a grain of salt because I do have some heavily tinged uh, nostalgia goggles on for, um, for Strider.
0: <laughs> We've all got them for something or other. All right, there we go. Another volume opened, uncorked. So it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Chris, Michiel, Sean, Editor Jay all of our correspondence, and of course, as ever, you for listening. Next time, in issue 602, Matryoshka Mayhem, in Double finds Stacking.